0: Listeners, welcome back to another episode of Voices of Change. I'm your host, Celestia Imbo, and today we're in for a treat with a truly special guest, the incredible Bishop Stephen Wright. He wears many hats, first of all, from being Chair of the Trustees at Caffold, to his recent appointment as the 15th Bishop of Hexham and Newcastle by Pope Francis in June 2023. Welcome, Bishop Stephen.
1: Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me.
0: Oh, a pleasure. How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you very much. Yes, welcome to um, a a sunny northeast, actually. The sun is shining, it's quite warm, so um, a beautiful day. up here in the northeast.
0: Oh, fantastic. we would really like to hear that. Um, So, Bishop Stephen, we really appreciate you being with us today. Um, Before we dive into our chat to get to know you a little bit more, um, we wanted to have like a quick fire round of fast questions, if that's okay. Okay. Okay, cool. So, first question. Could you tell us about a saint that inspires you and why?
1: Um, I have lots to choose from. Lots. Uh, (laughs) I'm going to choose a bishop saint, and it's actually St Augustine of Hippo, who we often forget is an African saint. He was uh, in North Africa. Um, My home parish in Stafford, where I grew up, was named after him, so I've sort of grown up with him. And uh, it's fair to say he uh, was a bit of a naughty lad growing up, really, and he rebelled and he was quite the playboy in earlier life. And I'm not choosing him because of that. But in yeah. fact, he went through a huge conversion experience, uh, really motivated by the prayers of his mother, St Monica, actually. And he went through a huge, huge conversion and he began to realise, actually, that uh, in all the pleasure that he was seeking, nothing was satisfying. Mm-hmm. Well, lovely images about him, when you see a statue of St. Augustine, he's always holding a heart in one of his hands. And it's because of his famous phrase, that our hearts are restless until they rest in God. And I love that phrase. Um, and a great teacher in the church, but a great pastoral man and a great pastoral bishop. So I asked for his prayers. So he's one, but I, I could... Talk about probably thirty or forty saints. Okay. <laughs> I'll spare you that. Okay.
0: We'll save that for the sequel to this podcast. Thank you. Bishop Stephen's <laughs> favourite saints. Um, if you could eat only one food for the rest of your life, what would it be?
1: Oh dear me. Um it would be vegetables actually. Um oh. I, abs- I lived I was blessed to do my training for study in Rome and I fell in love with the way the Italians do vegetable antipasta. Oh. I could eat it forever. Okay. <laughs> eat it forever. So it's not one particular food, although it would have to have aubergines and courgettes on it and peppers, but uh, <laughs> it would be vegetable antipasture. Honestly, I could eat that to the Oh, fantastic.
0: <laughs> fantastic. Um, so our next question, also food-related, perhaps with your antipasti, if you could have dinner with any historical figure, who would it be and why?
1: Uh, well, as a bishop, you're going to... I have to say, obviously, with the good Lord himself. And, of course, that's what we're doing at every Mass. We are having a meal. Um, I've been asked this question many, many times. And, in fact, my answer is a very, very personal one. It would actually be with my dad. And my dad died, actually, when I was young. So uh, that, for me, would be a great moment of heaven, to be reunited with a meal with my dad. Um, and that's one of the draws, I think, and those have gone before us. I uh, do draw us to heaven, I think, with that. So uh, a bit of an emotional answer and not a particularly famous person, but uh, it would be my dad.
0: I think that's a beautiful answer, Bishop Stephen. I think that's just so lovely, lovely to hear as well. Um, so to wrap up our quick fire round, if our listeners didn't already know, Cathod's big Lent walk kicks off soon. And Bishop Stephen, could you share with us your favourite walk and why it holds significance for you?
1: Oh wow! Uh, well, I did the uh, the Catholic Big Lent Walk a couple of years ago when I was an assistant bishop in Birmingham, so I enjoyed that. The um, the uh, I did a walk which is called the Saint Chad's Pilgrimage. Another saint, but back in Birmingham, he's the patron saint of the Archdiocese of Birmingham, and he's also the patron saint of the Anglican Diocese of Lichfield. And we did an ecumenical pilgrimage from Repton to Litchfield and St Chad has associations with both those places. And it was in the summer, but it absolutely tipped it down all the way. It was about 24 miles and we did it in a day. And I actually did it. I was then, I wasn't a bishop then, and I did it with... Um, an Anglican priest who actually then became the Bishop of Stafford. So there were two of us doing the work at the end of it, both wow. of us ended up being appointed bishop. So I think there was something profound about that. <laughs> but I actually had the privilege of carrying one of the relics of St. Chad's, which we have. And then... Uh, he's definitely following me because uh, St. Chad's not from the Midlands, he's actually from up here. He's a saint of Hexham and Newcastle originally, so I've kind of followed him up here. So it would be that walk, soaked to the skin. We were, it was, it was not a rainy day, but it was a joyful, joyful day in the rain, mm. and clearly quite a profound day for some of us as well. So, God bless St. Chad.
0: Oh, God bless St. Chad, indeed, amazing, <laughs> fantastic. Um, so, we also wanted to ask you, um, Bishop Stephen, as Chair of Trustees at CAFOD, um, what are your key priorities in steering the mission and vision of CAFOD?
1: Um, I've been asked this before. As Trustees, we obviously have responsibilities to make sure that the charity is functioning in the way that the charity should, that it's faithful to its mission. Uh, personally, I'm going to personalise that. The question a little bit more. CAFOD is a family that's made up with so many gifted and talented people. So many gifted and talented people who are working for the love of the Lord and working for the love of our sisters and brothers. And simply this, my role in chair is to allow all of that talent to come to the fore and be used in that way. Um, I take a similar vision with my role here as Bishop of Hexham and Newcastle as well, it really is allowing the God-given talents and gifts to come to the fore, so that we truly can serve our sisters and brothers, so that we can care for our common home, and we can give all glory to God. So that's it. Um, I love sport. I suppose my managerial style is sport orientated, in the sense that that's what you do as a leader of a sporting team. You let the gifts and the talents flourish to achieve the ends, to achieve the goals. Uh, so that's my priority as chair.
0: I like how you kind of compared it to like being a sporting manager. And I'm just trying to imagine that <laughs> actually when I think of the meetings you attend as well. Who's in which position?
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit of that. I mean, that, that wouldn't directly be my role as a trustee. Uh, but It is about allowing thing, allowing those gifts and talents to flourish. It really is.
0: Could we go back then? It would be really interesting if you could tell us about your story and your journey of how you then became Chair of Trustees at CAFOD. What motivated you to take on this role? We're going to speak later about your total background and how you got, how you started and everything, but how did you end up being a Chair of Trustees?
1: Um, it's, uh, I was appointed, uh, I've got to cross over a little bit with a question that may be coming a bit further. I was appointed as a bishop in March 2020 in fact, it was just as we went into lockdown, if you remember that week, it was that week I was told uh, that Pope Francis had appointed me and I was an assistant bishop in Birmingham um, then. And I was ordained, I finally became a bishop, if you like, in October 2020. Um, And it was the spring after that, so it was spring 2021, um, and one of the, the, Bishop John Arnold and Bishop Patrick McKinney were the two bishop trustees then, and Bishop, Patrick McKinney had stepped back, I think, because of other work commitments. So there was a vacancy Um, and it originates that it was Bishop John Arnold who phoned me up initially and said, would I consider it becoming a trustee? Um, And I said, yes. I mean, you know, we bishops, we all have a national job and what better than to work for (laughs) CAFOD, really. So I jumped at it. So I said, yes. So um, now I can't demand to be it. In fact, uh, my brother bishops who appointed me to it, but they did, and I've been a bishop since the, uh, bishop trustee since then. Um, the next stage in becoming chair is actually then Bishop John Arnold announced that he was stepping back, um, and my fellow trustees actually uh, voted me to become the next chair so, um. It's not uh, a kind of process that it is, uh, forgive me, I mean this in the nicest possible way. It's not something I ever sought or desired. I'm very happy being a trustee, but it's right and proper. I think uh, the trustees, if you like, uh, are calling me to that position. I'm happy to accept. Um, so it, it works that way around, if that makes any sense.
0: Yeah. yeah. No, it does. It does. And then I'm just, I'm wondering now that you've been you've been doing this for a while now, um, how has it been? I mean, so much has changed for you, you know, as you, you know, been appointed Bishop of Hexham Newcastle as well. So what's been the most rewarding aspect, I would say, of your new role?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a big change. Um, so uh, Pope Francis appointed me to be Bishop here in Hexham Newcastle and that was back in the summer. Um, my first appointment as a Bishop came as a complete shock, a total shock. And then Um, That was 2020. And then 2023, I had a complete second shock. Um, So I'm in a new part of the world. I don't really know the Northeast. I mean, I've been up here just over six months now, so I'm beginning to learn it. It's a beautiful part of the world if people want to come up and stay. It has an absolutely stunning stunning coastline i have to say in the countryside is just fantastic up here it really really is uh the people are great uh cities are great as well uh it's a lovely lovely part of the world but i'm learning about it more and more and it has a very very rich christian tradition so i mentioned st chad as one of the saints from up here yes st Aidan, St. Cuthbert, St. Wilfred, and hilda a female saint and obviously we've got holy island up here lindisfarne mm. uh, which is just absolutely stunning and just such an important part of Christianity in um, England and Scotland and, dare I say, Wales and Ireland too. So it's a fabulous place to be. The, the most satisfying bit, I always loved being a parish priest. I adored being a parish priest. It's the best job in the world. The best bits of being a bishop, are those bits that are like being a parish priest. So when I'm in the parishes, when I'm in the schools, mm. and that's the bulk of my time. So I've got 150-odd churches to get round. So Ooh. it's going to take me a couple of years to get around all of them. But that's my priority at the moment. And it's an absolute joy to go and uh, meet the communities, learn about their traditions, learn about how they're being Christ for their community at the moment. Um, that's the best bit and always will be.
0: Do you notice really a lot of differences between the different communities um, where you are based? So, being based when you were down south and then going up to Hexham and Newcastle, are, are there really big differences?
1: I'm going to tease you by saying the Midlands and the South. I'm from the Midlands. <laughs> Just <doing about> that. <laughs> I'm only teasing you. There are quite some similarities, actually. Uh, so, my patch of uh, the Archdiocese of Birmingham was the northern part, actually. So it was Staffordshire and that part of the West Midlands, which is known as the Black Country, and it's known as the Black Country because of the coal industry that's there and also the industrial uh, history of it. There's a lot of that here. So a lot of my Northumberland, County Durham, it's former mining communities, the mines have gone. That's the same as where I was serving before in Staffordshire in the Black Country. There's quite a bit of heavy industry up here in this part of the world as well. Um, some of that has gone. Um, I think one of the uh, similarities, actually, with people of Staffordshire and the black country, what you see is what you get. That's true here as well, very true Thanks. here. Um, people are very, very chatty up here, far more chatty than dare I say. i lived in London myself, so I know what it's like down there. Um, as They have sayings up here, you know, each day that you go out, you're about to meet your best new friend. And it's true in the sense that everybody's very, very talkative and chatty and friendly. Right. Um, but it, but it's great. Um, accents, there are some strong accents up here. I'm having to learn some of them. <laughs> Most of them I could cope with. There's a few places where I think, oh, I'm not quite sure what they just said. But it's absolutely fantastic. Um, So those will be the similarities. Uh, It's not as big a population area here. Uh, Where I'm living, Newcastle is a big city, but it's nowhere near the size of Birmingham. Um, So things are a little bit smaller, I suppose, in that sense. But, but, um, yeah, fantastic part of the world. Here endeth. The, uh, the tourist advert for the North East. Come to the North East.
0: Come to the North East, sponsored by Come to Uk. <laughs> <Stop, okay. laughs>
1: I would honestly say everybody should go to Holy Island once. Yeah. It's just a fantastic place.
0: Well, yes, I've heard of it. Um, I've actually never been, but uh, I heard, is it only accessible at a certain time? Yep. Okay, could you tell us a bit more about that?
1: Well, in, it is. It's tidal. So um, there is a community. There are about 400 people who live on the island. and um, uh, it is the origin of Saint Aidan and Saint Cuthbert. They base themselves there, and that's where the religious communities, uh, not dissimilar to Iona up in Scotland, so um, okay. it's one of the birthplaces of Christianity. It really is. Um, so yeah, you can drive across, but only um, when the tide allows you to. Um, but in fact, Cathod has an annual pilgrimage. It organises it. And it's in uh, the summer. It's in July, I think, this year. (laughs) I'll have to check the diary. But anyway, (laughs) I'm down for it. And actually, you can walk across the mudflats from the mainland. Across there, we'll have mass. We've got a Catholic church there called St Aidan's. We'll have mass either there or outside, and then we'll um, uh, walk back. But you do have to respect nature. If you attempt to walk, well, it would be suicidal to walk across when the tides are coming in. And uh, sadly, some people who attempt to drive their cars when they shouldn't drive their cars across lose their cars. So you do oh. have, to be, you have to respect nature. The sea's not going to give way to anybody or anything. <laughs> but uh, it, it is just a stunning, stunning location. It really is.
0: Oh, yes, it looks beautiful from what I've seen online. It's definitely on the on the list of places to visit. So I guess you would recommend it then for, for all Catholics to get to see Lindisfarne at least once.
1: It is um, all people, all Christians and people of no faith. It's just a, a beautiful, beautiful, unspoilt place. It really is stunning.
0: Um, bishop Stephen, could you tell us then a little bit more about, you were kind of saying how you've got into your current sort of um, role, but your origin story, how you became a bishop, because i I found out that you've had quite a really interesting life and you, I believe you qualified as a barrister as well in a former former life as well. How did it all start?
1: Okay, thank you. Yeah, as a child, um, I suppose I was a bit of a strange child, really, once I realised I was never going to be good enough to play football for me living. Um, I was fascinated by lawyers and People of a certain age, you're far too young, but people of a certain age would uh, remember a program called Crown Court that used to be on television. And um, it was a kind of, um, well, it was a little drama and it was a little trial each day. And then the jury would decide whether the person was guilty or innocent. And I was fascinated by that as a child, but I was fascinated by the work of the barristers. And, um, I was quite a young age, really, and I decided that's what I wanted to do. So I did a law degree, and then I became a barrister and qualified as a barrister. It was around that time that my dad died, actually, Uh, just after I finished my A-doubles and just before um, I went to university. And it was really going through that where I think my vocation to to the priesthood came, really. And I suppose it was um, a way of thinking that the Lord's death and resurrection wasn't something that was out there. It was actually something that uh, affected my heart my heart and my mind oh, uh, wow. in a much deeper way. And it, it was actually through that. And it wasn't instantaneous. It took a few years. But um, then anyway, I, I applied to see if they would accept me for, to train for the priesthood. And the Archdiocese of Birmingham did. I honestly thought I'd leave seminary. Um, I thought I'd get it out of my system and go back to the law. <laughs> but I never did. And um, the more I stayed, the more I felt that that was the Lord was calling me to. And then I was ordained in the year 2000. I've worked in the inner city, Birmingham. I've worked in Banbury in Oxfordshire. And then I was parish priest in Burton-upon-Trent for 12 years. Um, and then in 2019, Archbishop Bernard, uh, the Archbishop of Birmingham, he pulled me out of parish ministry and uh, appointed me to be what's called a Vicar General for the Archdiocese of Birmingham which is such a big job you can't have a parish with it. So I, I thought I'd be doing that for the next eight, ten years, whatever. Uh, but then March 2020 I had the shock of my life and Pope Francis appointed me as assistant bishop. So that was a big change and I was beginning to learn that and then I got the shock to come up here um, and as it were, start all over again as the bishop of Hexham and Newcastle and um, that's where I am, and that's where I'm learning at the moment. So that's a kind of brief resume of where it was, um, of my history, if you like. And people often ask, well, why Why did you decide the priesthood? And it was just in prayer um, to offer yourself, because you can never demand to become a priest. It's up to the bishop to decide whether to ordain you or not. It just felt that that was what was going to make me joyful and fulfilled, uh, and I've never regretted it.
0: That's just so amazing to to hear that story because you know it's quite rare sometimes to to have that conversation and and hear a person's journey to to become to this position and and as you said so many things happened like out of surprise you didn't know you know that you'd be appointed mm-hmm. bishop and it just
1: all flowed very often in vocation for all of us actually sometimes we're invited to say yes to things we and you don't know quite what you're saying yes to. Um, you, you, yeah. you, the Lord does sometimes call you into an unknown. And for example, you know, becoming a Catholic trustee, I said, yes, I've got a clue what being a Catholic trustee was all <laughs> But you, you learn, but you put your trust in the Lord and also you put your trust in those around you as well.
0: So um, obviously now it's this time of year, we are gearing up for the Lenten season. Uh, so for anyone who's new to the church, Would you mind, Bishop Stephen, um, explaining a little bit more about why Lent is so important and why we do practice prayer, fasting and giving during the 40 days of Lent?
1: I suppose a way of thinking about Lent is it's uh, a season of preparation. So it's uh, 40 days of preparation for the biggest celebration in the church's year, which is Easter. And it's a good deal. It's 40 days of preparation and Easter's 50 days long. So uh, (laughs) you get more back. Um, And it it is about the church quietening down a little, I suppose, uh, in a way kind of reducing its joy so that it can come back up to full volume when we celebrate the Lord's resurrection. And the three traditional ways of prayer and fasting and almsgiving, very simply are three ways of expressing what lies at the heart of Christianity living it out, which is loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself. So, we're invited to spend a little bit more time in prayer, which is a bit more of an expression of our love of God, our relationship. And prayer is more listening, really, to the will of the Lord than uh, speaking, but it, prayer has both those aspects. And then, um, almsgiving is about love of our neighbor, about putting their needs above ours. Um, and uh, that's a good thing for us to be doing at all times, but particularly in Lent. And finally, uh, the fasting bit. Um, the fasting is really an expression of love of oneself. And we're always invited, if we're going to fast from anything, I suppose fast from sinfulness and anything that's harmful to us. But it, it's also a recognition that I am not, I'm not controlled by the things that I either eat, drink or whatever it might be. It's an expression that I am called to higher joys of heaven. And we set aside those things. Um, So comically, I could have said crisps was my favourite food that I could live off for the rest of my life. Um, I eat far too many of those things. So they go by the wayside in Lent. Um, (laughs) Sometimes that can be a challenge. But, I mean, it's a pathetic little thing. (laughs) It's not a pathetic little thing. And The idea is that, you know, whatever money I was going to go and waste on a bag of crisps, it should be given in almsgiving. So it's love of neighbour, it's love of self, uh, and it's love of God. That That's really what we're being called to do in a time of preparation, uh, to realise that I'm called to greater things, that the Lord is calling me to a heavenly home. Um, that, for me, is a quick insight, I suppose, into the spirituality of Lent. I could say a lot more.
0: <laughs> I'm sure we'd be very happy to hear more. And I was just wondering in terms of, um, for our listeners, Do you have any helpful tips on observing Lent, such as perhaps any prayers to refer to or how we can make time to reflect? You know, so many of us have such busy lives, but we want to step back and have a little bit of time to reflect.
1: Of course, um, I must say that CAFOD has fantastic prayer resources. <laughs> its website. Yes, we do. Thank you, Bishop Stephen. And, and in fact, uh, I was delighted to say that I understand it's the it's one of, if not the most visited part of our of our website. And I says that's something fantastic about right. uh, our Christianity as an an organisation. There are plenty of resources out there. I'll give my own diocese a plug, but. I'm sure all dioceses will have uh, materials that can assist us in our Lenten journey. The other is, uh, in terms of the prayer bits, I may not be the only one, but uh, probably first thing in the morning if we're able to get a bit of prayer time in. Um, We're not all called to be contemplative monks and nuns, by the way. We have to be realistic about prayer, and sometimes prayer can be on the move. So uh, I have to say, when I lived in London when I was training to be a barrister, Um, I used to pray on the tube a lot. I just used to close my eyes. Uh, Very often I'd pray the rosary using my fingers. Um, There's not much else to do on the... No,
0: there isn't really.
1: I I used to find going in and out to Hoborn, I used to travel, I used to live in Clapham and move up to commute into Hoborn. I found that bizarrely quite prayerful at times. But um, we pray as we can. Uh, The other thing is to begin, begin to enjoy it. To begin to enjoy um, the prayer, to begin to enjoy the fasting, uh, particularly to enjoy the almsgiving too. Um, and there have been secular studies done about uh, enjoyment, and in fact, serving other people always comes out best. If we wish to be joyful people, you, to find the joy in serving and helping others always tops anything that I might get. You know, we're, food or drink or enjoy more you know going to the cinema or whatever it might be it always comes out top and um, there's a truth in that and i hope that people find the joy of prayer the joy of almsgiving and yeah even the joy of fasting
0: It is such a, a wonderful time. And I think I totally agree with everything that you're saying. And, I, and when you're saying about, you know, sometimes we might say, oh, we're going to give up some buying crisps or, you know, or having chocolates and stuff like that. But then also, as you said, it's about how, how can I help people? How can I give back in this time?
1: I once had it explained. I remember a priest um, giving a homily, and I've nicked this so many times as well. But fasting is not about a diet, it might be a diet. But Lent's not about a diet in that sense. Lent is about giving something up to show the love of self so that you can serve other people. And it's why the three go together. Because if you just do the fasting, it's a diet basically. But if we do the fasting together with the prayer, together with uh, the almsgiving, it holds together as the great commandments of loving God, loving our neighbour as ourself. That's why the three go together.
0: It's, it's a very special time. I think around um, Easter is when a lot of new new Catholics are mm. received. Um, how, how, what, do you, what do you feel about that? Is that like another really special time for you?
1: It is. And in fact, uh, today I've just been arranging on the first Sunday of Lent, and this will happen in all dioceses, I'm sure, uh, we have what's called the rite of election, and those who are to be received into full communion with the church at Easter, uh, they gather in the cathedral and uh, we have a little prayer service and in fact they all come up and say hello and I'm really looking forward to that. So I've done it a few times in Birmingham alongside the other bishops there, but this will be my first time here um, in Hexham and Newcastle and I'm really, really looking forward to that. And again, um, obviously I'll be celebrating the Easter Vigil at the cathedral. You'll have to forgive me. I'm not sure if there are any candidates being received Then I will be informed in due course, and I'll discover that on the first Sunday of Lent. But um, ah, it's such a joy. Again, such a joy. Mm. And it's a particular poignant one for me, because I've spoken about my dad, God rest his soul, but he actually went through that process. He wasn't born a Catholic. He became uh, he. became Um, In fact, he kind of journeyed, I suppose, from being um, a respectful agnostic, I suppose, (laughs) when I was younger, (laughs) to uh, becoming in full communion. uh, And he did so a few years before he died. So uh, it has that additional um, element to me.
0: Yeah, that connection. That is such a personal connection as well.
1: Wow. I think it's a sign that the church is alive. You know, we're attracting adults and Mm -hmm. families. That they're seeing something of the Lord in other people, and invariably they come into contact uh, with the Catholic faith uh, through other people, through the practice and the example, not a clergy, but of lay people. And um, that is profound, and it's very humbling, and um, I look forward to hearing um, their stories of <laughs> why are you here, <laughs> why are you here, what, how has the Lord spoken to you, and that's <laughs> our vocation, and yeah. we all have it, and we should all share it. I
0: think there's something interesting about, yeah, people that get received into the church, rather than, say, like, cradle Catholics, because I feel like they're such, they've got such fire in them, and they're so, you know, alive for it.
1: Yeah, yeah. you're right, and um, we've just been, I mean, just a few days ago, we celebrated the conversion of St Paul. And uh, a lot of people will go through conversion experiences later in life. Yeah. They they come to the faith. But um, you're quite right. But the communities in which that happened, it says something powerful about the godliness of that community. And that is a a great joy.
0: So that's wonderful. Thank you so much. So Bishop Stephen, we just wanted to say, um, if you had maybe a message for followers and supporters of Cephaled and to everybody who's listening to our podcast.
1: I just want to say an enormous thank you. I just want to say an enormous thank you for your generosity, for your commitment, for your advocacy, above all for your prayers. Um, We know here at home uh, there's a cost of living crisis, which frankly is getting worse. Times are difficult here, but we also recognise the needs of our sisters and brothers in other parts of the world is similarly difficult. We also recognise that um, it's a troubled world at the moment, for those of us who have been around on it for for a while. Uh, The news can very often be more dispiriting than it has been in the past, and there have been growing conflicts here, there and everywhere, and we pray for peace, and we pray uh, for those who can seriously bring about the cessation of violence, bring about genuine respect that every human person is due because they're made in the image and likeness of god that they bring that peace and that respect about and we do that through our prayer we do that through our advocacy we do that through our example and i'd just like to say an enormous thank you to everyone involved in CAFOD uh, for their example um, it is a great example for our society worldwide society and um, we need it more and more. So just a huge, huge thank you.
0: That wraps up another insightful episode of Voices of Change. A heartfelt thank you to Bishop Stephen Wright for sharing his journey and perspectives with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow and share with your friends and family and stay tuned for more stories of change. Thank you, Bishop Stephen.
1: Thank you. God bless you.